This episode and every episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Ironmonger Brewing. Visit Ironmonger at their tap room in Marietta, Georgia, or online at ironmongerbrewing.com. Open up a tab, grab a seat, and pour a pint. It's time for the Beer Guys Radio Show. You want free beer? Go to the brewery. Dedicated to the art, science, and enjoyment of craft beer. Yo, what's wrong with the beer we got? Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Brian Hewitt. And welcome to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We're broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio Studios in Marietta, Georgia. And this week, we're talking with Primitive Beer. I'm Tim Dennis, and with me as always is my good friend, and probably a caveman, Probably. Brian Hewitt. So easy, even a caveman can do That's it. That's right. Even a Brian could do That's it. That's right. Hey, Tim. So joining us today, we have Lisa and Brandon Bolt, the co-founders of Primitive Beer. Not Primitive Beer Company, but Primitive, Primitive Beer. Primitive Beer. Exactly. We're going to talk about beer served hot, beers in a box, and all things spontaneous fermentation. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. You, I mean, just right out of the gate, we know this is going to be crazy. Hot beer, beer in a box. That's right. Beer in a box. Yes. And, and I'm excited because you were kind enough to send us some of your beers, including one of your bag and box beers we had to which is going to be yes. my first experience with bag and box well beers. And still beer too well and i've still had beer. beers that are basically still that were really not good. intentionally not intentionally right though, but we're basically but uh <laughs> yeah. yes the bag in a box bag in a box baby good stuff yeah we're sipping right now uh your circular logic and this says it is spirit hound whiskey honey and yes. i i know all of those words but i'm not sure together what they're telling me uh, can you guys share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the name Circular Logic actually, after now I explain it, gets to it a little bit quicker. Uh, so basically, Spirit Hound Distillers is right up the road from us in Lyons. They make a lot of uh, lovely malt whiskeys. So they emptied a couple barrels of their malt whiskey and brought the barrels over to the apiary that we use for some of our bottle refermentation. It's a nice local honey producer who filled those barrels. They rotated them daily for a year just so the staves wouldn't dry out. So the honey wouldn't completely solidify. After a year, they removed the honey, uh, created a whiskey honey uh, from what was in those barrels, gave those barrels back to Spirit Hound. They finished one of their malt whiskeys in those honey whiskey barrels. And after taking their honey whiskey out of the barrels, they gave those barrels to us to finish the third year component of uh, some mature spontaneous beer. After which, um, residing in those barrels for about a year, we blended back with some younger stock and then re-fermented it in the bottle with the honey that also came out of those whiskey barrels. Um, hence the, yeah, the circular <laughs> wow. logic there. Wow, <laughs> so many layers to this. I, I got tripped up on the whole rotating it. I'm like, did they put it on the little rotator, the, the meat rollers? A rotisserie. The rotisserie, the meat rollers at the gas station. Just put the barrel on there, just keep rolling the honey. Oh, like your hot dog thing Yeah, exactly. A little bit of heat, a lot of rolling. Yeah. About perspective, yeah. Good stuff. Most people drinking that bottle of beer would have no idea everything yeah. that went into that. You know, hopefully it's they on would our website, but see you know. <laughs> if you go out, the, you know, that's it. How many people are geeky enough? There's a good amount, but not everybody is going to. I think if they're drinking research their beers, like these we kind do. of beers, I'm, I'm thinking they're more apt more to be likely that kind to look of person, into that. Right? It's like, all right, there's got to be something going on here. I need to look into this. Of course, there's something yeah. going on here. A lot Delicious. of spontaneous stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. We're definitely. Uh, we're, we're happy, I, I think, on the side of not realizing that all of those uh, components are in there. Sure. Uh, is, the side that, is the side that we err on. We'd rather create beers that have nuance and, um, for all intents and purposes, are drinking beers, despite them 
going through some, uh, at this point, less than modern processes and right. kind of bringing in a lot of different uh, flavor components together. So the fact that it's not just hitting you over the head with only honey, only whiskey, um, you know, big acidity, anything like that, I'm, that, that means to us at least that we've blended it in a way that uh, gets us excited. Sure, because if you went into all these unique processes and do all that, and the end result isn't a delicious beer, you know, what's the There's point no in point. putting all that work yeah. in there, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I yeah. love the idea of a spontaneous drinking beer. I'd never even put the two I'm, the I'm two concepts together. Yeah, I'm all about it for yeah. sure. Easy that one per, that one in particular is really high for us ABV wise, ten point two. But okay. some of the ones mm-hmm. we put out are like four point eight. So those are light and crushable yeah. and really yeah, sip, sipping you know session beers in yeah. a way. A story that I I've shared a couple times. There's a brew pub here, one of my favorite brew pubs in the world, Good Word Brewing. And when the guys were looking to open Good Word, one of their ideas was to make a table beer that basically you got kind of like your chips and salsa at a Mexican restaurant. You'd sit down and they'd bring you table beer, but they it didn't it didn't come to fruition, and my heart is crushed. I'm I'm thinking right. there I might like have been that idea. right considerations yeah. Yeah. about that, perhaps. Like I don't it know, could, right? Yeah. It could, it could pose problems. In theory, sounds fantastic. I've been in practice; it's a lot. Riskier, riskier, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you'd have us come in there, and they're like, "Guys, we can't brew any other beers because all this table beer." Yeah, so all we're doing is, is, is surfing <laughs> you guys' table beers. Just get up and leave. Leave. Come you go <laughs> now. Get out of here. That's so, right. yeah, we, that's, y'all. We had a fun story we wanted to share with you, and uh, you are both geologists, correct? Now, that's do you, correct. Do you still do practice, geology? Though. Yeah. Pra- do you still practice geology outside? Do you of still bird? look at rocks? Yes. Do you st- <laughs> I haven't seen a rock we, in years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd say that we appreciate uh, deep time and the idea of landscape evolution. Okay. This day and maybe some of our patience over letting barrels age for multiple years before doing anything with them. I see. Uh, is 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 tied to some of that idea of uh, geologic time, but um, yeah. After so after we defended our <laughs> master's theses, yeah, we kind of uh, accidentally fell into beer. Brian, you found a cool story. Not really our news segment, but just something fun, right? Yeah, the tie-in with the geology. The, uh, one of the earliest species of, and it's a dinosaur. I may mangle the names. Ichthyosaur. Is that sound that about sounds right? right? Is now known as Symbiospondylus. Youngorium, which is in its name for Tom and Bonda Young of Great Basin Brewing Company. The name was announced at a ceremony at the National History Museum in Los Angeles in December. And Tom Young was a geologist. So that's why it was named after him. I'm assuming there's a little bit more of a tie into that, but I didn't get too deep into it. The fossil was found in Nevada, about 120 miles away from Reno, and is currently on display in the National Natural History Museum. So do you guys want dinosaur bones named after you? Maybe. We I weren't mean, paleontologists, not, but why not? Yeah. Sure. Maybe name <laughs> some. cool. Yeah. yeah. The, the mean, next that... time a plate shifts or something there, Let's see if you can get in on that. <laughs> it would be a legacy that would live on probably longer than a lot of other things that we do. So, yeah, <laughs> right. I'll, take a, I'll take a dinosaur bone. Fun stuff. I want, I want a dinosaur named after me. I yeah. don't know. Oh, that'd be. I don't know exactly what you have to do to get that, but now that's a goal. It wasn't before, but now it is. Is something Denisonium or something right. like that? We just need to start befriending more paleontologists. See? And I think if we give them free beer, I mean, that brewery must have been hooking that group up pretty uh, pretty royally in order to get that that nomenclature. See, now I've got like this vision of these a group of these nerdy paleontologists just ripped. The dig site is just littered with cans, empty That's cans. That's it, man. That's <laughs> They're it. part of the brushing away. They're brushing away cans. They're t- <laughs> turning dinosaur skulls over and putting cans around them and <laughs> taking pictures yeah, and stuff. Yeah, all of their, uh, their Instagram pictures with posing with dinosaur bones in their beers. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, Tim, let's get into the beers of the week. Brian, as always, fantastic beer list. Man, this is, seriously, Brandon, this is fantastic. Lisa, delicious, delicious beer. I'm going to have to move to a state other than Georgia so I can order more of this beer and get it delivered. Fantastic beer. But right now, we're in the circular logic that we just talked about. We also have Back in Vogue with uh, Montmorency Cherry with Family Jones Rye Whiskey. Correct? Did I get all that correct on that one? Sounds absolutely delicious. And exciting stuff, Brian. Willfully Obtuse, which is a glue beer blend. And if you listen to our Christmas beer shows, you've heard us talk about glue beer. Correct. And that is a bag and box offering. So really, really excited to get into that great list. And uh, once again, thanks to The Nest for uh, sponsoring this segment. They sponsor the Beers of the Week segment every week. We really appreciate it. We enjoyed going out there for some barbecue and beers. And as you've heard us mention many times, don't miss out on the smoked wings or some pork rinds and pimento cheese, Brian. Brian, I think we had Nate, do we have time for news? We have time for news, Brian. So there's a lot of brands and breweries changing hands lately. We've already talked about Bell selling the Kieran. Now we've got Kings and Convicts back in the news, acquiring St. Archer Brewing's facility in uh, San Diego. The news coincides with the immediate discontinuation of the St. Archer brand by Molson Coors. If the uh, Kings and Convicts name sounds familiar, it's because they made headlines when they bought Ballast Point from Constellation Brands back in 2019. The the company plans to take on St. Archer's operations and tasting room employees in addition to continuing to operate their network of Ballast Point breweries or tap rooms, though it is important to point out that Coors still owns the St. Archer brand, so those beers will no longer pr- be produced. So they've, they've pulled the, uh, the plug on those. The the rumor is the original founder of it is sad about this and is actually thinking about possibly buying it back and bringing yeah, it back. Is it, but that's a rumors. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised they killed the whole brand. I know they did this San Archer gold that was like supposed to be like a cheap beer. Yeah. And uh, I, and I knew they yeah. killed that line, but they're just throwing away with the whole brand. Eight huh? months after they introduced it, they, they tried it out, gave it eight months and then they just axed it basically. Oh, yeah. You are listening to the beer guys radio show. We do need to take a break, but we'll be right back with more from primitive beer. Headed to the Battery in Atlanta? Be sure to check out the Terrapin Atlanta Brewery and Tap Room. Whether the Braves are playing at home or on the road, the Terrapin Brewery and Tap Room is always pouring all of our locally brewed Georgia beers like Hop Executioner and High and Hazy, while also introducing small batch R&D beers created on our five-barrel pilot system right inside the Braves Stadium. And if you're looking for great food, we've got you covered with Fox Brothers Texas-style barbecue. Stop by and see us today at the Terrapin Brewery and Tap Room at the Battery Atlanta. Football season is here, and holiday parties are right around the corner. The Nest Kennesaw has you covered for both. Their new covered patio is perfect for cheering on your team while enjoying some great craft beer and keeping a safe social distance. When you're ready to schedule your next party, the Nest can handle big and small requests on-site or off-site at their event venue. Whether you're planning a weekend with a few friends or a party for 100, visit thenestkennesaw.com and make your plans today. guys on facebook twitter and instagram roger roger what's our back there victor now back to the beer guys radio show welcome back to the beer guys radio show remember all episodes are available on demand so if you miss the broadcast get the podcast beer guys radio is available on all popular and unpopular podcasting apps now let's get back to primitive beer primitive beer delicious beer uh based on my experience so far i'm i'm totally on board 
Lisa, we noticed. (laughs) Yes, we're enjoying it. We noticed talking about your brewery. When you talk about your brewery, you mentioned a beer blendery, not, you know, primitive beer brewery. What sets a blendery apart from a brewery? Well, I'd say at the most basic level, we don't have a brew house. So we are not brewing at our facility. Um, We brew, well, Brandon brews um, at other breweries, and we have a tanker truck drive the wort up. We did this actually last night uh, and everything gets inoculated in our cool ship in our facility, then barrel aged and fermented for multiple years, one year to four years. And then the real creation of the beer, I would say, is when we blend it. So we blend to taste, we blend for fruiting, for spirit barrel aging. We're not brewing in our facility, but the beer is sort of created and born when we blend it. Okay. And, and, you know, I, I noticed you mentioned your cool ship and, and load mm-hmm. that before we got on the air here. So I just assumed it was being brewed there as well, but you do brew off site and tank it in, huh? Yep. That's right. So I was thinking we couldn't legally do what they're doing, but they don't actually do any of the fermentations. They just yeah. do the initial it's spontaneous. Work. So they're not pitching. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's just purely non-alcoholic it's beverage. Yeah, yeah. It's worse. Yeah. So you, yeah. that would be They're possible. just transporting sugar water, Brian. Yeah, exactly. Right. I would like to see an entire network across the country of people producing different things and you could source oh, it. So would we, <laughs> we would love that. It got great wart. Like, Tanker trucks, you know, like the gas tanker yes. trucks and the milk tanker trucks driving Maybe around. Maybe a pipeline. Yeah, or a pipeline, <laughs> even better. <laughs> but yeah. that's that's cool because that means that this is a concept that could that could actually work where we're at, and we're fairly restrictive. So, I, what about wort stations? Wort stations? Yeah, yeah you go in. It's you like, drive up and just they have tanks out of the ground. That's and, it, yeah. man. Fill her up. That's Fill her up. You drive in your cool ship. It's sure. in the back of your, yeah. And the drive back is what inoculates it. And then you set it yes. up. I think we've that solved. Good, a good highway microbes. That's right. All See? of the, the finest microbes from the <laughs> finest highways across, across the U.S. Yeah. Right. Right. Now we covered this a little bit in the first segment where we talked, when we were talking about dinosaur bones, as you do, uh, but you were both geologists. And I think Brandon, you said that, you got your degrees, but went straight into beer. Is is that correct? Well, um, it was certainly an accident. Uh, I had I had drinking the academic Kool Aid, so I thought I was after the master's degree. Was pretty sure we had a, a program lined up in New Zealand, and I was going to go for the PhD down there. Lisa definitely didn't want to stay in academics, and she was going to go for a more uh, practical kind of consulting gig, something like that. But um, we had a, a year before getting married that we wanted to pursue hobbies, and uh, before moving somewhere, you know, further away from family and all that our hobbies at the time were and still are beer coffee and weed i think i can say weed online right That's sure right. we're yeah. good that was on band we're good yeah yeah we're good cool um and this was circa 2013 so at that point i would say the epicenters for uh th- that intersection of uh, of fun would have been colorado pacific northwest and maybe southern california we just happened to have some uh, friends couches to crash on in denver colorado so we uh, moved from flagstaff arizona where lisa and i met in grad school and just basically packed everything in a little u-haul trailer went up to colorado and kind of played played it by ear accidentally fell into the the beer industry and a lot of what primitive is was really lisa's idea and a lot of uh, her inspiration so and, and that was what took you down the road from brewing? Like it, there's a lot of breweries out there doing, you know, a lot of very common stuff, you know, your IPAs, whatnot, you know, all, all great stuff. How do you wind up going to all spontaneous barrel fermented beer blender? I, I think the fact that we are esoteric scientists at heart and not, and not business people very much selectively <laughs> pressured what we were interested in. We figured if we were going to 
start a brewery and and go down this path of being in the industry that we had to be contributing something to the collective um, idea of of craft beer. I mean, there's a lot of great breweries that are producing uh, IPA or other, um, you know, three-week uh, to three-month styles between ales and lagers. And unless we had some real passion and desire to add to maybe that idea, for us, it was really let's let's get into spontaneous beer, some trips to Belgium, and just our collective geek, geekery over how does spontaneous fermentation work, um, why does it work, all of that, both from a sensory standpoint of actually loving to drink specifically lambic and goose, but also culturally um, how it is this small, uh, very specified history and culture, and how it's not really represented in most of the. Uh, U.S. beer drinking scene for understandable reasons. Again, terrible business model. I don't recommend it for anyone uh, who's looking to make money, but at the same time, uh, looking to just love what you're doing. I, I couldn't couldn't be more stoked on it. What was the timeline from your first filling your first cool ship to actually releasing your first beer? Because this isn't a four to six week brew here. Yeah, it was about nine months. Okay, which really isn't bad in the big scheme of you know, spontaneous brewing. So, well, if you're, if you're doing the brewing off, well, let's see, I'm trying to think of how that works. Maybe if, if you're offsite brewing it somewhere, all that time you'd be spending to make your, get your permits together and your facility and all that sort of thing. So I don't think you can brew until you have, that's a good point. Cause stuff. you would start doing that. Yeah. You are, yeah. you are technically correct. Right. Yeah. You you figured out exactly what we did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, in, and that's enough on that topic, right? I was just Across problem solving, <laughs> and uh, I solved the problem the same way. You so. figured it out. Yeah. The way we figured is if our beers did not turn out well, which uh, there was a really good chance they they wouldn't. I mean, they, again, uh, we were taking a blank space and trying to begin spontaneous inoculation and fermentation. Um, never having uh, any smaller scale successes before. So, the, you know, the, the cards were stacked against us for sure. Worst case scenario, we produced vinegar or ethyl acetate or just a beer that wasn't enjoyable. We figured at that point, we'll just call whatever we have barrel storage solution. Um, you know, it's not not actually beer. And then by the time if something turned out well, uh, you know, before we would uh, package it, blend it, et cetera, then we'd have to have the uh, the permit, the licensing, et cetera. Um, more sure. of a forgiveness over permission kind of mentality. So different business models. We could go into the paint thinner business. Right. We could go into, you know, the vinegar business, the beer. Exactly. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Exactly. Is this is this cleaning solution here? Right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know there yeah. was barrel storage solution, but I guess that now makes you sense. Know. <laughs> now you know, man. So uh, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out, get my head around how this works. You're actually are or were like a full-time brewer at a different brewery. Is that still the case? Yeah, so we've never taken a dollar from Primitive. This has been a weird four-year passion project at this point. Um, and uh, in order to make, again, this weird business model work, A, we didn't have to invest in a brew house, which is, you know, if you we were going to get the proper brewing equipment, et cetera, put on site, call it a half a million dollars right there. And B, we weren't going to pay ourselves or take any other resources from the business. So that made starting up a, a not, a, despite us only releasing, you know, tens of uh, volumetric barrels of spontaneous beer a year, we're putting 200 or so volumetric barrels in uh, in oak every season. So it's actually a relatively large cash for spontaneous beer. But in order to make that work and, and keep it uh, financially feasible, we had to basically set those first two parameters. So I've been a head brewer over at Odd 13 in Lafayette, which predominantly makes um, 
Hazy IPA and, and some other uh, more kind of in vogue modern styles. And then I helped another brewery in Colorado, Four Noses Brewing Company, open up a mixed culture and lager uh, facility in Boulder called Wild Provisions. So for the past four years, a lot of um, how we've sustained at least uh, not taking money from Primitive is, is yeah, having other full-time jobs. Very cool. And okay. Lisa, yeah. are, you're at uh, Odd 13 as well. Is that correct? Uh, I was up okay. until maybe two years ago. And now I have sort of a day job at home on the computer. So okay, that's, cool. Yeah. You nice, know, nice for scheduling. Yes. There you go. Yeah. You know, it's cool, though. You talk about that, like brewing full time at another brewery. And I'm sure you're not hiding primitive beer from them, you know, and that's no. And that's something that's super be cool about the beer business. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's not a lot of other businesses where they'd be cool with someone being a quote competitor to them. But the beer business, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love to do, I've said this many times, the family tree of beer, even just from Georgia. Oh yeah. I mean, that like thing's got to cross yeah. branches, you oh, know, absolutely. 15 times there, but uh, yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's just super cool the way these brewers, you know, foster each other with this stuff and the way the beer business breeds more great brewers. You are listening to the beer guys radio show. We need to take another break here, but we'll be right back with more from primitive beer. The best brewmasters are obsessed with creating a high-quality, consistent product. That means reducing mass viscosity for better wort separation and increasing brew house efficiency. Ultra Flow Max from Novozymes helps you achieve both. It is time to brew with enzymes. Increase your brew house efficiency and achieve faster filtration today with Ultra Flow Max from Novozymes. Order a free sample today at www.brewingwithenzymes.com slash beerguysradio. Brian and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks, so you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Shake it, back. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. I want to give a quick shout-out to one of our great radio affiliates, WNTK, 1020 AM and 99.7 FM in New London, New Hampshire. Catch Beer Guys Radio on WNTK every Saturday at 10 p.m. Now let's get back to Primitive Beer. Primitive Beer, good times. Brandon and Lisa Bolt, thank you again. We're having a great uh, conversation here. So we set up some conversation during the break. We did. We were talking about spontaneous fermentation. We were. And cool ships and air temperatures and wart temperatures. We also noticed that you mentioned on your website you practice a very specific type of spontaneous fermentation. Uh, Brandon, I guess I'm going to start with you here. Are there multiple types of spontaneous fermentation? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of other beverages outside of beer and other um, fermentative products that are spontaneously fermented. The idea that the microbes aren't purposefully added, but just allowed to um, initiate fermentation from other environmental sources. So, for example, in the wine industry, this idea of natty wines or minimalist slow intervention wines, those are all uh, yeasts and bacteria that are indigenous to the skins of the fruit. 
uh, Basque style cider and a lot of other cideries in Europe, uh, you know, that idea of spontaneous fermentation isn't isn't so exotic. It's just basically how they've been making their products for uh, you know hundreds of years at this point. All beer, to some degree, originally you know, started off from a spontaneous standpoint. Whether or not it's the you left bread out and it rained on it and it started fermenting or or something else. Boom! Spontaneous kind of debunked, fermentation, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, they've kind of kind of debunked that, but. Um, yeah, so for us, we are inspired by a very specific type of spontaneous fermentation. We uh, we don't call anything that we create lambic or it's very specifically blended, uh, you know, square within a rectangle goose, but we are very much inspired by the production of lambic outside of that geographic appellation. So in America, something that we would call method traditional beer production. Uh, that said, certainly not the only way to spontaneously inoculate and ferment wort. In that, in that same concept, you could take a bunch of other fruits that have the microbes on their skins, throw them into a uh, blank slate of wort and allow it to ferment from there. I think the important uh, com component for us is uh, at least recognizing that spontaneous is really that the first time that those inoculants start to ferment a beer and you can't really re you certainly uh, process wise can reuse them but it's no longer spontaneous when you harvest uh, the yeast and bacteria sure. from a fermentation okay. and, and reuse it so there's a lot of breweries that have house uh, wild cultures that certainly started from spontaneous capture or were taken from a good spontaneous beer that they made but for us it's pretty imperative uh, from a descriptive standpoint that spontaneous is always, you know, made from those microbes the first time over. So we're never reusing our house culture, not to say it wouldn't turn out nicely, but just because part of what inspires us and going back to that historic technique is every time we uh, produce wort, it's put into a cool ship and allowed to inoculate from whatever's in the air. So Lisa, with that, do you do, are we going to see circular logic again, or since you're going fully spontaneous, do you know the type of wort? in time of year in that to do that? Or is every beer a new beer? Every beer is a new beer, uh, but it, with blending, we can get closer and okay. closer to mm -hmm. sort of a using the same name for certain beers. Um, we've talked about having like a two year or a, or a three to one year blend that's sort of the same every year. And again, that's gonna be based on blending. Circular Logic is a special beer that while we could follow those exact same steps again, we might get something that tastes different. Uh, but with blending, I think we can kind of aim toward, you know, kind of a goal. And, and we know what things taste like when they're young versus what we think they'll taste like after aging in certain barrels and then what things change in bottle conditioning as well. So we know we know our culture pretty well um, and we can kind of blend towards certain uh, flavor profiles. And that's kind of the fun of spontaneous beers, though. I mean, like wine, this vintage, this blend, what have you is going to have a little bit of different character. You have your terroir in the beer, you know? So it's something IPA drinkers, especially the Hayes bros, they will get angry at you if batch two does not taste like, if that's, batch three doesn't true. taste like yeah, batch two. Exactly. Batch I, one's always the best though. This it's one has the more pomegranate. Last, last year's was better. That's right. Last oh, year's was better. Is. Yeah. But I think folks drinking spontaneous beer probably have, a little bit more flexibility, a little more understanding with that, that they're going to have some different character. They're like, Brian and I have talked many times. We love Dre Fonten and Oud Goose. Oud oh, Goose. Yeah. We, yes. we have drank it many times. It's always going to, it's always going to have that character that we know that that is the Dre Fonten and beer, but different vintages are going to have, you know, some different, different life to them. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
I'm intrigued by the idea. I, I, I love the idea of blending things together to try to create something that's fairly consistent. It doesn't have to be right on. It's in the name, spontaneous. It's you fair, know, right. you know, you're in for something probably new every time. A little new, at least. I, I like the idea of let's see how this batch tastes. Do you release? Do you release individual batches? Like, hey, we did this, this lambic inspired style, or I guess what would you call it? Method traditionnel. Uh, this is our version of this year's ingredients we'd we'd put into other blends just by itself taste it see what you think of it do you do that as well yeah we have uh, a couple especially early on we released some unfruited uh it takes so long to both to make the beer then to age it on fruit then to bottle condition it so we had a few early on that were unfruited um we were really happy with them the ones we've been doing lately that are unfruited are also spirit barrel aged we were able to get our hands on some uh pedro yemenes sherry barrels uh we were able to get some fun uh whiskey and uh uh, uh, Irish whiskey, rye whiskey uh, type barrels. Um, so we've been playing with those and some peach brandy barrels. So those have been some of our recent unfruited barrels. We need to get back to a blend that's unfruited and unspirit barrel aged. It's been a while since we've done that. And we've actually been kind of itching to to do that ourselves. Fall down that rabbit hole and it can just keep going, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Barrels got, on barrels on barrels. Us. See? Yeah. yeah. And it, especially when you think about, hey, this is what the, the this, this, past year has been like this is what the harvest was like that's sort of the information about it's like all right you know these things happen this is what the beer tastes like as a result of everything temperature everything that's fun man yeah that's fun let's see what we've got let's see what this season produced yeah I like that idea. Wine I like drinkers, that a lot. A wine drinker may say that a certain vintage is better than another vintage. This was a good year. Uh, yes. This <laughs> wasn't a great year. But they're not going to get mad that a 2013 doesn't taste exactly like a 2014. Yeah, or it's to versa. be Just, expected. And they cherish the years that are very good. I know I, I remember I did a little bit of work in the wine industry, mostly in the fields. <laughs> I remember right, people yes. talking about. I was in the wine business. That's right. I was tying and pruning <laughs> vines, basically. Yes. But yes. I remember people talking about individual years and like, oh, that was a great year. And then other oh. years like, eh, kind of a weak one. But everybody accepted it. Everybody knew what was going on. It was like, oh, it was unusually dry or unusually hot or unusually whatever. Or Brian was working that year. That's right. Then, or Brian so. was just drinking all the proceeds. <laughs> yes. so, yeah. yeah, exactly. I was going to say for us, that idea of consistency is really, uh, you know, consistency in terms of hopefully quality more than uh, the exact uh, replica, like replication of flavor. So hopefully that someone knows, all right, I've not had this vintage. I've not had this beer. I, I can't expect it to taste like the previous three-year blend that they've created, but I, I have an idea of what they seek out from a balanced perspective. So willing to take that leap of faith that, yeah, we can reproduce at least quality or reproduce that form of balance. You kind of mentioned earlier something, Brian, I think you kind of brought the topic up. We were talking temperature. Oh, and yeah. We were talking temperature of your wart, temperature of your air, of the cool ship, of the room and that. How does all of that play in and what's the most important factors when you're doing spontaneous fermentation? The two big factors that are that we see uh, anecdotally and just uh, you know qualitatively that matter the most would be the cooling rate and potentially that surface area to volume ratio. So the whole idea of trying to cool between 12 and 18 hours uh, matters because cool too quickly, you might not have the cell density that you need to start fermentation and you might mold. Cool too slowly, you might start to really activate some less desirable uh, aerobic microbes and that kind of thing and maybe sour it too much. And then in order to cool it that at that rate, 
um, you need a vessel that still has a fair amount of surface area to get the right inoculation uh, for that volume. So point being, uh, it's a harder thing to scale down than it is to scale up potentially. Because gotcha. in order to cool properly at like a homebrew scale, five to 10 gallons, you basically have a keg or your kettle that you let cool overnight. And that surface area compared to that depth is um, much less than our huge surface area to a very shallow depth. Um, so these are all things that kind of factor into selectively pressuring the right microbes that are in the air and uh, starting your fermentation and inoculation the, the right way. Something so simple really got yeah. some thought That's that needs to go into I it. I always brewed in saucepans, Tim. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We are going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about hot beer with primitive beer. Have you ever thought about owning your own brewery but don't know what it takes to get one built? We're Storytime Construction, and we build breweries. We're Georgia's most experienced and hands-on contractors when it comes to building new breweries and tap rooms or expanding existing breweries. We offer full build-outs, remodeling, and additions, as well as consulting and construction management. Give us a call at 770-733-4343. Storytime Construction. We build breweries. Have you visited Ironmonger Brewing recently? Take a trip and see the newly renovated and spacious tap room or enjoy the outdoors in their new beer garden with plenty of seating and shade to ease that summer sun. Ironmonger's tap room has a variety of craft beer and hard seltzer on tap with wine and spirits coming soon. Ready for a bit of adventure? Try out axe throwing with Ironmonger's 16 target range. It's a perfect spot for some quick fun or to host your next party or corporate event. So grab your friends and have some fun today at Ironmonger Brewing. on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Cannibal! Cannibal coming. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash beerguys. Patrons get cool perks like Beer Guys swag and commercial-free episodes. Now let's get back to Primitive Beer. Primitive Beer, we've got, we've just got something that I'm just so excited, I just can't hide it. Right now. I really, I really can't. I'm about to lose my mind. I think I like I it. I like yeah. it. I do very much. I've been waiting for this all show and we're going to talk two great topics here that we're yes. about to get into. We've promised it all show. We're going to talk about drinking hot beer and we're going to talk about bag in box beer. Are you ready for this, Brian? I have waited all my life for this moment. Yes. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, y'all, we have just cracked into your, uh, this is called willfully obtuse. It is your glue beer blend. And as we mentioned earlier, we've talked about glue beer and glue wine, Brian, on yes, our Christmas beer have. shows. A beer heated up. We are drinking it right now, slightly chilled. We didn't get this too ice cold. Uh, but if we, as we've talked about before, this is one that is perfect for heating up. And you recently, I, I believe you hosted the Hot Beer Fest, correct? Yeah. yeah. How'd that go? How did people receive having hot beer? People were excited to try something new, and I think a lot of people liked it. Cool. Good stuff. <laughs> it Good was stuff. really fun. We had two different methods of uh, heating the beers. So we had our glue beer, which we had in a, like a percolator with spices and orange and then the beer heating throughout. Uh, and then the other method was the hot poker. We actually had fire pits out behind our brewery, and we would pour these, you know, the Cohesion and the Weldworks beers and then have the 
the customer go outside to the hot poker station where we had a you know professional take a red hot poker out of the fire and stick it into the beer where it would caramelize the the sugars it would create this fluffy meringue like head and warm the beer slightly which was really really cool you know i've seen another you know what though i don't think this is for serving the beer i think this may be part of the process of like preparing like throwing hot stones into a beer Okay. Yeah. Well, that's not in the serving side. That's actually on the production kind of, you know, doing that, I guess, kind of like a, um, what's the term, Brian, where you pull some off and you boil it and you put it back in. And oh, d- like decoction. a decoction, decoction type of situation. Like a decoction Tim, type if thing. you want to throw hot stones in your beer, don't let anybody stop you. Go I'm not, right ahead. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my life. So talking about the glue beer style where you heat it up, maybe put some mauling spices in there. In the hot poker style, we've talked about, Brian, we've mentioned this, and I still don't think we've tried it, but what, what, we, what we've heard is roaring a beer. Are you guys familiar with that term? I think we got it from Lars' blog, correct? That may be. And I'm sure you, you're familiar with Lars' blog, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. great yeah, resources. Norwegian style. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But uh, the, the essence, the short of it there is they take a pot and get it really hot. You pour the beer into the pot just before serving and then pour it into the vessel. I guess kind of a backwards roundabout way of doing the hot poker thing, right? Yeah. It, so the reason they were doing it or what they claimed was they would take farmhouse ales that had gone a little too long. They'd been, they're a little on the old side and that would help in some way revitalize them. Obviously it's caramelizing things and yeah. turning it into a different beer. But yeah, that was the idea is you'd wind up with a warmer beer, but you'd wind up with a beer that had tasted very stale. And uh, the end result was something that was completely different and much more palatable. Bring a little life to it. Yeah, and it's definitely something I want to get into, and I would try it with just about anything. I I think that I think it was intended mostly for the farmhouse, the saison type of beers. You know, good good question there. With hot beers, I'm guessing style selection is pretty important. What are some styles that lend themselves well to drinking warm or hot? Yeah, I think potentially. more than you know broad uh, style categories thinking what elements are going to activate and be interesting uh heated and the type of heating you're using and what elements of that beer may be degraded so for example a really bitter beer if you heat that up that bitterness is only going to become exaggerated okay. so i mean that already starts to reduce you know some of the styles of beer um, something that you want to look for is a beer that has a fair amount of if you're using the, the hot poker method which is kind of working towards melanoid and then Maillard reactions. If you've got something with like a really nice malt presence, something where that scorching is actually creating some new flavors, taking those sugars and making them caramelized, that's going to to work on uh, on your behest. I'd say for the mulling idea, if we know that uh, glue creek is a traditional uh, technique still in Belgium and people are using a uh, glue vine, the whole idea of our willfully obtuse, the name of course, of course which is like, we know that people don't want still beer and they don't want hot beer. So we're definitely going to give you hot still beer. So here you go. Um, right. The, okay. <laughs> the, the whole idea of putting that base together was somewhere in between Creek inspiration and uh, a wine beer hybrid. So a refermentation on cherries blended with a refermentation on local grapes with a little bit of young stock that had some cider like qualities only because again, mold cider is also a uh, still uh, something that people understand and enjoy. And we wanted to make a blend that was enjoyable on its own without the mulling spices and the sugar and the heat, but uh, also was a very good palate to use, uh, you know, a blank slate for the rest of those ingredients. 
Um, so I think, yeah, if you're just considering what aspects heat are going to provide both from an olfactory and a flavor standpoint, you know, I think there's a lot out there that could be played with. Certainly beers that I didn't expect to taste good with the hot poker or would have been some of our last choices to ever do. People were ordering them from the bar, going outside, sticking the poker in professionally. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, coming back and saying like, hey, I don't know if you've tried this, but this is our favorite. And, uh, you know, I I don't think we can claim to be the experts on w- what works and doesn't work. The and application the of, of hot pokers, basically. But, yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It, and so for this, if, if somebody were, if people were to order this and get it shipped to their house and they were like, I want to try the hot experience, what's the right way to take this, this uh, willfully obtuse and turn it into a properly hot beverage? Uh, we like adding honey. Uh, You can do anything for a little sweetness because when it gets hotter, sometimes something sour gets kind of more intensely sour. Um, And then we've used uh, whole cinnamon sticks, cardamom pods, uh, cloves, and like half oranges, maybe even some orange juice in there. But you can really go crazy. You can add whatever you like. You could even add brandy or cognac, something like that. Bump it up a little, maybe add some wine, whatever you like. But uh, yeah, spices and some sweetness really, really make it sing. Toddy it up, Brian. Toddy it I was, up. I'm already thinking yeah. Boilermaker. I'll get a shot of brandy yeah. and I'll, I'll either uh, shoot it or sip it along with it. So uh, you know how I like to turn it. I, I, like like to go. I know how you yeah. like to do. Exactly. Now, this beer, as you mentioned, is served still. Um, and you have a few others that are still bag in box. For those that can't see it, this uh, the box is about the size of like a 750 bottle. 1.5. 1.5. Okay. Yo, well, we're getting even yeah. more in here than I realized, oh, man. Wow. Heck yeah. Rock and roll. You got a magnum, baby. Good yeah. deal. How Good about deal. that? That is quite now a I deal. I like these even more. Very but efficient. Are there, what made you offer still beers? And is there something that tells you with a beer, hey, this one would be good still, or let's serve this one still. Yeah, so we started when we opened. Uh, we had, like we said earlier, nine-month-old, year-old beer. Uh, and so in our tap room, the only option for uh, on-site drinking was out of our cask system because we didn't yet have bottle-conditioned carbonated beverages. So as a way to be able to offer uh, to-go beer, we offered Bag & Box. It's one of our favorite uh, ways to get Belgian Lambic in Belgium. There's a couple breweries that do it. They do a really fantastic job, usually just a, an unfruited sort of a base beer and then a creek. Um, so we were really excited about that. And then now it's sort of this, we taste we taste beers as we're blending and we decide, okay, this one would be better uh, bottle conditioned and carbonated. This one we think would taste really fantastic on its own, uncarbonated, kind of the way it is right now, exactly like tasting it straight from the barrel. And then a lot of times we'll do the first use of a whole fruit uh, into bottles and the second use into bag and box. Cool stuff. Okay. It's, um, I think this would be good knowing next to nothing about wine. As I do, Brian, so I'm going to speak about wine. Okay, yes. Please but do. If, Please if do. you like the richness of like an old world red, like the deep fruitiness of an old world red, I think that you would dig this. Yeah. I think this would be a good direction to head if you were starting to explore these kinds of beers. Yeah, like the, uh, I'm trying to think of the the variety of, of the wine that this reminds me of a little bit. Somewhere, I guess old world red would be the thing I'd have to fall back to. But yeah, there's very yeah. much. And a- that's as much as I, I can't go any further than that. I just know this reminds me with my limited knowledge of what I know to be an old world red. Yeah, this is definitely something I can see this appealing a great deal to the the, the wine drinker, especially yeah, somebody sure. who's into we, ha, not having had a lot of them, but those natural wines that you were talking about earlier, this it seems like this would make a lot of sense for them. We've, we, find more, we find more new customers coming in not knowing about spontaneous beer that 
are wine drinkers uh, than beer drinkers who actually come in and try something blind and say, oh, I like this. If you're looking for bitterness and, you know, an IPA that we can't really get those flavors from what we've produced. But if you're looking for wine or cider like acidity, oakiness, et cetera, um, that's a lot of what spontaneous beer has to offer. Brandon and Lisa Bolt, Primitive Beer, Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. Really enjoyed the conversation and the beer. If folks want to find out more about Primitive Beer, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, we have a website, which is primitive.beer. And our Instagram is our probably number one updated thing, which is Primitive Beer. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Guys, it was a pleasure. Yes, yeah. good deal. That about wraps it up, Brian, for this episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show. Join us next week as we bring it back to Georgia, Brian. We're talking to Silver Bluff Brewing. For more craft beer info, please do follow us online. We are Beer Guys Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week, and don't forget to drink local. Cheers. Cheers.